You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Foul Play. This series is called My Aunt and the Hitman. I'm your host, Wendy C, and this is episode 5, The Hitman. In previous episodes, I have described to you how my aunt was found murdered in her home on Friday the 7th of December 2007, how her husband, George, was actually her ex-husband, how the police investigation was carried out, and the discovery of George's friend, who stayed at George's mum's house around the time of Sharon's murder. In this episode, we will learn more about the mysterious Paul from Thailand. Following the revelation that Paul had stayed in George's mum's house and that she had picked him up from Leatherhead train station, the team sprung into action. DCI Woodall tells us the next steps to establish exactly who Paul was and his significance to my aunt's murder. She said that they would take their lead from the detectives who were interviewing George. They would come out of the interview room and say, right, this is what we've learnt. George's mum picked Paul up from Leatherhead train station, so go out to the train station. We were you know, looking at CCTV from Guildford to try and identify Sharon on the CCTV to see if she had any exchange with anybody there. So you would have lots of different actions and inquiries running simultaneously. And then every morning we would get together at 10 as a whole team, sometimes over 100 officers, to debrief what they'd found during that day. George mentioned in one interview that Paul had actually been inside Sharon's house. So the detectives grasped this as an opportunity to suggest searching George's mum's house to see if there was any DNA or fingerprints of Paul's there to eliminate him from their inquiries. Both George and his mum agreed, and it was while searching the ensuite bathroom that the holy grail of evidence was found. A glass, used by Paul, had been left in the bathroom. And on it, not only his DNA, but a clear fingerprint, which was run through the national database and pulled up a match that had identified the man as Paul Crine. So who was Paul Crine? How did he know George? Why was he in England? Was his presence just a coincidence? Paul Crine was born in Manchester. In 1972, at the age of 23, Paul was convicted of stealing money from Barclays Bank. It was this conviction that put his fingerprints on the national database that detectives used in 2007 to trace him. 
On the 22nd of February 1985, Paul had achieved a world record for swimming the longest distance underwater in 24 hours, which still stands today and can be found in the Guinness Book of Records. Paul married and had two children. He settled into married life and would involve his family in his passion for swimming, taking them away to places where they could all enjoy the sea together and he could improve his skills. And it was on one of these trips that Paul's life would change forever. During a family trip to the Maldives, Paul was diving when he was hit by a boat that left him with significant life-changing injuries. After being awarded £500,000 in compensation, Krein divorced his wife and took off to Thailand to start a new life where he had a string of relationships. Money goes a lot further in Thailand than it does in the UK, but as Paul enjoyed the high life, his money dwindled away. So, to boost his income, he became embroiled in various nefarious activities to help to fund his lifestyle. In the book Drug War, The Secret History, written by Peter Walsh, in Chapter 11, The Octopus, Peter discusses English criminals who moved to Spain to pursue their criminal careers. This is a quote from the book. Alan Brooks was born in 1951. He was dyslexic and struggled at school, so instead got into hustling at an early age. He took on a coal delivery route after leaving school and would also sell secondhand cars. By the age of 25, he owned a large four-bedroom detached house, running a secondhand car business and doing a bit of property dealing on the side. But he couldn't stay straight for long, and at the age of 32, he bought a number of cars with dud checks, sold them and his house, and moved to Spain leaving behind a trail of destruction. It was here that he joined a criminal expatriate community, where he fitted in well. In one incident, he showed interest in a yacht and sent a skipper to set up a test sail for him. But he wasn't interested in purchasing here. He just needed a yacht to pop over to Morocco, pick up a cargo of hash, and deliver it to Devon. This was a trick he tried on a couple of occasions. How does this relate to Paul Crine, I hear you ask? Well, Peter's book goes on to say... In October 1988, corrupt soldiers of the Syrian army kept guard as 4.2 tons of cannabis, packaged in camouflage netting, was transferred at sea to a trap ship of the Lebanese resort of Tripoli. The vessel, Cleopatra Sky, sailed towards Gibraltar, then out into the Atlantic, among its crew was Paul Crine, who claimed to hold a world record for underwater diving and had more recently been working for Alan Brooks, recovering sunken stashes of drugs from the Mediterranean seabed. Cleopatra Sky arrived on November 6th in the waters off Newcastle upon Tyne, where, according to Crine, it was supposed to unload to a fishing boat. Two days later, the receiving vessel had still not turned up, and, fearing they had been compromised, the crew tipped the drugs overboard. They then sailed back, intending to return to Lebanon, but were intercepted by French customs as they crossed the English Channel. 22 kilos of resin were found, hidden in the chain locker, all that remained of their monster load. I reached out to Peter Walsh to ask if he had ever met Paul Crine, and he replied, I don't know much about Crine, I'm afraid. My interest was in Alan Brooks. 
I'm a big drug smuggler from Blackpool. Brooks was convicted by a French court in 1996 of organizing a huge cannabis smuggle from Lebanon. However, it was very difficult to get details of the case, given that it was held in France many years ago. About 20 years later, Brooks was up before Birmingham Crown Court from a huge cocaine smuggle. By then, I was planning my book and went along to the trial, planning to use the details. During the course of cross-examination, Brooks was asked about the earlier conviction in France. He claimed he was innocent, of course. He was then asked about this man crying, who had given evidence against him in that case. He said, I had met him. He was looking for work. He was supposed to be a sailor, had worked on oil rigs, was a diver. Ken Wildman, who introduced him, was a diver. He came to me. He had a little boy with him. Said they hadn't eaten for three days. He had no money. They were lifting a boat at 8 a.m. the next morning. I said to Paul, if you want to do it, you can. He never turned up, and I never saw him again. And that's a direct quote from his testimony in court. In fact, Brooks hired Crine to sail on the smuggling ship and help deliver the cannabis. From the prosecutor on the Birmingham case, I was able to obtain the attached document, which is from the French court. It gives you some details of what Crine said. The document that Peter was kind enough to send me was from Brooks' French conviction on the 10th of December 1996 and relates to the Cleopatra Sky incident in 1988. Crine accepted his role in an international smuggling operation of narcotics, having the aim of importing to Great Britain a quantity of 4.2 tons of Lebanese cannabis. He explained that the organizer of this smuggling was the named Alan Brooks, of British origin, living in the area of Porto Banis in Spain, an individual for whom he had worked in the country recovering drugs from the seafloor. Brooks had produced him a payment of £60,009, increased by £40,000 if the boat had returned without a hitch. According to Crine, the cargo of 4.2 tons of cannabis, packaged in camouflage netting, were loaded on board Cleopatra Sky on the 19th of October, 1988, at sea from Tripoli to Lebanon in the presence of soldiers from the Syrian army. The ship then headed towards Cyprus and Gibraltar, then out into the Atlantic. After crossing French national waters, it arrived on November 6, 1988. It arrived in the waters off Newcastle, where the drug was supposed to be loaded on a fishing vessel. Crine explained that after waiting in vain for two days for the ship, he left the Cleopatra Sky on the 8th of November 1988, so as to call the commander of the operation, Alan Brooks, by landline. He explained further that before disembarking, he had given instructions to the crew to throw the narcotics into the sea in the event that they were approached by another ship and 111 in the event he did not return within three days. It seems that Crine would do anything for money and that he was mixed up with some interesting people while living in Thailand. Fast forward to 2003 and Crine was a suspect for the murder of Robert Henry, another Englishman living in the Pattaya area of Thailand, 
This was just four years before Sharon's death. An article called Murder Beach, written by journalist Andrew Hummond on the 7th of November 2003, says... Robert Henry, 42, the man whose body was found last month, face down in a ditch, in Najantium, with six bullets in his head, was on all accounts aggressive, abusive, and violent, and with a past linked to organized crime. Today, another Briton, Paul Crine, 55, is in jail in Pattaya, charged with Henry's murder. The case has set alarm bells ringing, not least because of fears that the beach resort of Pattaya may be taking over from Spanish Costa del Sol as the new safe haven for British criminals abroad. It goes on to say, Police say they have found blood belonging to Robert Henry in a BMW 318 series car owned by Crine. They say Crine sent the car to be completely stripped of its interior and re-sprayed immediately after the murder. And who is Paul Crine? He is a male nurse who spent 10 years living in Plymouth on Britain's southwest coast prior to coming to Thailand. Crine, also a diving instructor, has had several mentions in the Guinness Book of World Records. In 1984, he became the first person to complete a 24-hour underwater swim, covered 64.5 kilometers. He also, for a while, held the fastest time for swimming from Scotland to Ireland. But while training for a new record attempt in the Maldives, he passed out underwater and had to be rescued by his son, Damien, then 16. He was left partially paralyzed and permanently brain damaged. He came to Thailand after a 500000 payout by an insurance company. He married here and has a young daughter. Brian Pugh of the Tyne Diving School in Devon, England, says... We are all stunned to think that Paul could be mixed up in any violence. He was a flamboyant character who was generous and friendly, never aggressive. He was willing to help anybody, especially youngsters. This has shocked the town. There must be a mix-up. Henry apparently had a background of violence and drugs back in England and was mixed up in a number of dubious business dealings. It is believed that one of these deals that also involved Paul Crine, was the reason that he was murdered. Drummond's article continues. According to testimony given by police, on October 4th, Henry had a violent fight with his Thai wife, Willi Tutarn, 26. She had to be hospitalized, and when released, went to stay with Paul Crine. She said she became suspicious something was amiss, when she wanted to go back to her husband, but Crine advised against it. She claimed she received phone calls demanding first 4 million Thai baht, then it reduced 2 million for her husband's ransom. She became very suspicious when, she claims, Crine told her, your husband's not coming back. You should switch his money to your accounts. She said she would have never done such a thing, but relatives of Henry arriving from Coventry to take his body home say that all his credit cards had been milked to the limit. In our ongoing journey dissecting real-life mysteries, I've found a perfect companion in a game that not only captivates, but also lets me step into the shoes of a detective in the glamorous 1920s, June's Journey. As someone who's delved deep into the game, playing through the intriguing scenarios of June Parker, I can personally vouch for its immersive experience. 
In June's journey, you unravel the mystery of June Parker's sister's murder. Each scene is a visual and intellectual puzzle, with hidden clues scattered across beautifully crafted locations. What I've enjoyed most is the depths of the storyline. Each chapter peels back a layer of this thrilling narrative, revealing danger, mystery, and romance. Besides the allure of solving mysteries, the game lets you design and customize your own luxurious estate island. Building my estate has been a delightful escape, offering a creative break from the intense narratives we tackle on the podcast. For those of you who enjoy the blend of history, mystery, and narrative depth we explore on this podcast, June's Journey offers a chance to live out those elements in a beautifully interactive setting. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. And join me in this ongoing quest to uncover hidden truths and solve complex mysteries. Attention, friends. Are you ready to embark on a journey into the unknown this Mother's Day? Prepare to dive into the depths of your family's history with mylifeinabook.com. Each week, mylifeinabook.com sends intriguing questions, uncovering the thrilling tales of your mom's past, and then she can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature. From daring escapes to nail-biting encounters, her life becomes an epic adventure waiting to be explored. This Mother's Day, give the gift of excitement and intrigue with mylifeinabook.com. It's a thrilling ride through your mom's life that you won't want to miss. I gave this to my mom last year, and let's just say I didn't know my mom as well as I thought I did. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code SHANE at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use code SHANE for 10% off today. What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 supports your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL. They have complained to British embassy officials. Crine was interviewed about Henry and was quoted as saying, I'd only known him for three months. He could be aggressive and nasty and was always getting into fights. Many foreigners hated him and so did many Thais. I have seen him bite a Thai girl's nose half off. He has been hospitalized after insulting Thai people. But personally, I did not have a problem with him. My wife and I have went with him and his wife three or four times to dinner dates. Police are trying to say I was having an affair with his wife. I am a nurse. I am trained to save lives, not take them. Crime did go to jail in Thailand for Henry's murder, but was acquitted on appeal. After key witnesses, and on one day the lead prosecutor, failed to turn up in court. And the next time that we hear about Paul Crine is when he crops up in the investigation of the murder of my Aunt Sharon in England. So I ask again, what was Crine's connection to George? Why was Crine in England that week? I guess the name of the series, and of course this particular episode, gave the game away. Yes, it is believed that crime, 
was paid by George to travel to England to murder my aunt. Crine was the hitman. I told you that this story was full of twists and turns, didn't I? In the next episode, we will continue with the police investigation, how they continued to slot the pieces into place to build a case, and what happened next. For now, I would like to tell you more about what was happening with us as a family. As the police investigation into Sharon's murder continued, we sat and we waited. We were given snippets of information, but of course, this was a live investigation, so we couldn't be told everything that was happening. I remember being told fairly early on that George was a suspect, but that we must continue to act normally around him, as he must not be alerted to the fact. Of course, we'd barely ever seen George, so normally that would not have been an issue, but now, suddenly he was all over us like a rash. He wanted to talk, tell everyone how hard done by he was feeling, with all the questions from the police. What a hard time he was having. He seemed completely oblivious to what we might all be going through. It was all about him. My poor dad got the brunt of it. George would call him regularly, pouring out his heart, while dad patiently listened to what he had to say. Dad even went to meet him a month after Sharon's death at a local hotel to try and help sort out her finances. They talked about Sharon, finances, the events leading up to Sharon's death, how he found her and what had happened since. Here are some snippets of his police statement following the meeting. This is not read by my dad, but these are his words. There were four mobile phones on the table, which I commented on. He said the police had asked why he had four phones, and he was annoyed, as if he thought it was normal to have lots of phones. Later, he told me one of the phones was his Thailand phone. I asked why there was such a long gap between seeing her on Tuesday and him calling round on Friday. He told me that after he had seen her on Tuesday, he had sent her a text on the Wednesday and the Thursday, and he said he kept them for the police, and then proceeded to read them out for me from his phone. The one on Wednesday, I think, said he wouldn't be around tomorrow, and on the Thursday said he is at someone's, I can't remember who, and probably wouldn't make it. George told my dad that Sharon was aware of Catherine, his second wife, and that Sharon had actually assisted with the paperwork to help Catherine stay in the country. He told my dad that he found it difficult to live with Sharon, that she was untidy and that the house was unclean, and he just couldn't live like that. He had lived apart from her since about 1987, but had maintained very close contact. During all that time, Sharon continued to do all his work and he consulted her on his business decisions. He still called her his wife, and she called him her husband up to the end. The divorce was for financial reasons, and did not affect their relationship. I asked how divorcing her helped their financial position, because he never transferred the property to her. He was vague, and I got the impression it was other things. He said that she was very special to him, and felt that as she did, that they were soulmates. Dad's statement continues. He told George that we thought he was the most obvious suspect and that we believed that if he didn't do it, he knew who did and why. He said he could not have done that to her. If he had done it, he would have done it in a way that she did not suffer or get hurt. He said he would have used insulin and made it look like suicide. He would not have made her suffer. I had told him that the toxology had not shown anything unusual and that insulin wouldn't have shown up anyway. He said they would be able to pick it up. I then said not if she had been dead for over 24 hours, and he agreed. I personally find it fascinating that George's response to my dad's comment that we believed he did it, or knew what had happened, wasn't shock. It was that he wouldn't have done it that way. What a bizarre response. I wish I'd been there to see his body language as he spoke. 
I would love to have seen if those telltale signs of George lying and being put in an awkward position had shown themselves. Finally, Dad asked George who he thought might have had motive to kill Sharon. Various people were mentioned and discounted. And then Dad asked... What about business? He said only about half a dozen people knew Sharon's address, but when I said it wouldn't be difficult to find, he agreed, as there were so few Birchwoods around. He said he had made a number of enemies in business. He had given the police names and details of some who he thought most likely. One particular person who had done a business plan for him for some project in Thailand, which had gone nowhere, asked for the plan back, but George had given it to somebody else, so he couldn't return it. He threatened George, with what I don't know, and George took the attitude that he would definitely not give it back now. He said there had been numerous disputes, but they were sorted out in a business-like manner in the courts. He suggested he had been successful in most of these, and there could be quite a lot of disgruntled people out there. But why kill Sharon? And I think this sums up how we all felt. Why kill Sharon? Thank you for listening to episode five of My Aunt and the Hitman. In the next episode, we will be continuing to follow the police investigation. On the 4th of December, Paul sent George a text message. What am I? A f***ing mushroom standing here in the dark? Our investigations showed that Sharon was actually late home. The train that she was going to catch, she missed, and she'd phoned George to say that she'd missed her train. So she was late. So I believe that Paul was there waiting for her in the house, in the dark, with the lights off, and he didn't know what was going on because Sharon should have been home and wasn't, so he texted George. This podcast was written and produced by me, Wendy C. It was edited by the amazing team at Foul Play and Arclight Media. Any profits made from this podcast will go to Friends of the Earth and Refuge, both charities that were close to my aunt Sharon's heart. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.